then say it again or something. Hello? What am I saying? The whole thing? Sure. Hello, everybody. I forgot where I was. <clears throat> <laughs> and away we go. Once I get comfortable, I will go on a tear about things. Like, you know how I do. Yeah. But uh, I went to Wingstop the other day after work with some of my coworkers. They were just like, hey, you know, when we get off, does everyone want to go Wingstop? I'm like, sure, I'll tag along. I'm not feeling like eating, but I'll go. And I pull up, and every single person, there's six other people in this group. We roll into Wingstop, we start looking at it. Every one of them got the boneless chicken wings, which are not chicken wings. They are chicken tenders in sauce. And when I began to explain that to people, they got defensive. And one of the arguments, which completely understand, can't argue with it, they said that they're cheaper. I'm like, you know what? That's fair. It's Wednesday. They have a deal on their chicken tenders, whatever it is. But don't call them chicken wings. Go lay down. Go lay down. You can take your toy with you. Oh, didn't slam it hard enough. <clears throat> That's what she said. <laughs> but yeah, I, I went on a rant. I was just like, don't call them chicken wings, all right? It's chicken tender and sauce. And they're like, yeah, but they're cheaper. And I'm like, I don't give a shit if they're cheaper. They don't taste as good. And yeah, so that was, that was a tear that I went on. I don't know. I have strong opinions about some things. So yeah, if she's like, oh yeah, let's go to Wingstop for the best chicken wings in town, I might be a little upset. But if she gets the bone-in wings, I can at least, you know, deal. But yeah. if she's like, I'll take you to the best chicken wings in town and then get fucking chicken tenders, I will lose my shit. I'll leave right there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care who drove, I'm leaving. It's, it's funny to me that you're a... Uh... <laughs> that your O moment is if someone buys bone boneless chicken wings. That's a like, breaker. You know? Like you've watched How I Met Your Mother, right? And Barney's O moment. He goes, "You can't be asking girls a lot of questions because if that O moment comes before you've actually done anything, then you have to stop the night. You just it's over." Then it shows a bunch of scenarios where Barney's O moments come up, and his is like one of one of my favorite ones is, "Oh yeah, I just turned 30. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and he walks off. <laughs> oh, that's a really cute ring. What's it mean? Oh, it's a promise ring that I have. I'm going to be a virgin until I get married. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a pretty significant one. I feel like I don't have a lot of O moments. I'm trying to think what would be like deal breakers. Besides, Besides chicken wings. I mean, I'm very particular about my chicken wings. Especially when she has it on her profile that she knows the best spot in town for chicken wings. That's true. Yeah, she's set a high bar, and I hope she knows that. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's like... Another one would be like if they don't like ribs. Yeah, because ribs are my favorite food. Right. So if I was like, oh, like, rib cook-offs in September, you want to go? And they're like, no. Short of them being like, oh, I'm a vegetarian, which I get it. I've... I've seen people do it. I get the reasons why people would do it, so I'm not going to judge you for that. But if you eat meat, but you do not eat ribs, deal breaker. That's an O moment. I'll lose my shit. I'll just... Sorry, this isn't going to work. Gotcha. If you have a reason, you know, like if... Health. Yeah. Like, you're allergic to pork, or whatever the deal is, and you can't eat ribs, 
I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. But if you don't have a reason, not happy. Okay, I can see that. It's weird that both of my O moments so far have been food related. Yeah, it, I was. I was just gonna say that, but I'm glad you got there first. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Not food related. I don't think there's a lot of them. I'm pretty forgiving on most fronts. <laughs> like people are weird. I'm okay with that. Now, if they're weird about what they put in their bodies, specifically related to meat, <laughs> Dustin's got problems. <laughs> yeah, it's that food. That's that's the number one. I can appreciate it. It is tough when you're with someone who like. Like, Kayla's milk thing is not a deal-breaker, but it does make things tougher. Now, if you're going out and get, you know, like, you enjoy going to barbecue places and you're with someone who doesn't like meat, that would be, like, a whole, like, slash of, like, because I can take Kayla to barbecue places. That's not a problem. I feel like it's not the worst, though, because barbecue places usually have some, like, fire cornbread. Mm. So it's like, you know, if you don't eat meat, we can still go get barbecue. You get, like, mac and cheese and some cornbread or some shit. I'll roll with it. But if I'm gonna you, eat my ribs. You eat your cornbread yeah. mac. We're gonna you be good. Do eat meat, but you don't eat barbecue. Unforgivable. Unforgivable. All right, we've got the list of values for Dustin settled up, and so far it's all based on food. But we'll work on the rest of the list later. <laughs> I'm growing as a person. Things may change. So are we jumping into this thing now? Yes. Let's. I feel like it's a pretty good intro. <laughs> and a completely different topic. On a completely unrelated note, not related to Dustin's love life. So I figured today we're going to kind of run into uh, some fathers in their fields. So I'm kind of touching today on the uh, father of gastric physiology and the father of gynecology, which... Yeah, completely different. We're talking about medicine as opposed... I mean, I guess that's a lie. Gastric physiology is a huge part of eating. So we're going to tie that together with that one there. So I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, first person I want to talk about is a gentleman by the name of William Beaumont. And uh, this guy was born in 1785, quite a while ago. But he is known as the father of gastric physiology... For good reason. Um, he had a unique opportunity in his time period where he uh, basically learned his medicine from, like, apprenticeships and stuff like that. You know, because back in, back in those days, it wasn't so much like you go to school for 12 years, you get your degree, you become a doctor. Right. It was more like, oh, you want to be a doctor? Follow around Dr. Pete until you learn what you're doing, and then uh, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> then you do you. Yeah, so basically that's kind of how he started in, I think it was 1810 he started. He was 25 years old, started his apprenticeship with whoever it was, and uh, got all his stuff together. And then in when the War of 1812 began, he became an army medic. So, you know, got to deal with all that nasty gunshot wounds and all that fun stuff. Right. And, you know, survived through that whole thing. He re-enlisted after the war. He re-enlisted in the military at the age of 35, which would have made it 1819. And this is kind of where he got his chance to become renowned. So he was at uh, Fort Michel Mackinac, 
uh, I don't know, I can't, I can't read, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in Michigan, right? Right. And so at this fort, he was the only doctor, like within the area, and so pretty much anything that happened, injury-wise, they got sent to him. And so he kind of got uh, got his lucky break in June of 1822 with uh, a young man by the name of Alexis Saint Martin. So this, this guy was a 19-year-old French-Canadian who received a gunshot wound to the stomach. Basically, they were... I think somebody was, like, cleaning a gun or something, and it accidentally went off and shot him in the stomach. Ooh. So it wasn't, like, a war injury. It was an accidental shooting, which oh. are always the best kind. Ugh. But, uh... Basically, he got a hole in his stomach. It left a bunch of his organs exposed. Like, you could see, like, part of his lung... Like, his stomach had been torn open. Um, pretty gruesome affair. Like, he wasn't expected to survive. Like, by the time that William got his hands on him, like, he was, I'm just going to stop the bleeding and see what we can do. Right. And uh, surprisingly, he turned out okay. Uh, he was debilitated for about ten months. Like, just bedridden, couldn't move, couldn't eat, you know, kind of just a real mess of a person. And William Beaumont did a great job keeping him alive you know the the hole in his stomach kind of fused to his abdominal wall so it wouldn't properly seal so it like healed into his muscle so rather than like the wound closing it had healed open oh okay so in order to eat something they had to put like a compress over his stomach hole so that the food would stay in his stomach Whoa. So over a 10-month ten, ten course, the only way he was eating was if somebody, like, held his stomach shut. Flex Seal. Flex Seal would fix that. <laughs> Flex Seal, get some Gorilla Glue in there. <laughs> no, just one of those Flex Seal tapes. <laughs> fix him up real good. <laughs> that would make a great commercial. <laughs> <laughs> if your stomach can't eat it. <laughs> Medical application of Flex Seal. We're challenging God at this point. Uh... God, that but, is, I can't imagine having to, like, hold my own food in my body. Yeah. How, like, how long did they have to hold this compress for it to digest and get his stomach cleared out again to where he could just do, like... Do you just have to lay down all the time in order to keep his, like, stomach acid in him? Basically, yeah. He was pretty much bedridden for <sighs> that first ten months. Okay. And then at the end of the ten months, uh, you know, they were like, this dude's been in the medical ward or hospital or whatever for so long. They're like, something's got to change. And so William Beaumont realized he had an opportunity here, and he kind of took him in as his own patient. Okay. So rather than being part of, like, the medical facility, William Beaumont's like, well, I'm going rogue. I'm taking this guy with me. And basically kept him, kept Alexis as a... uh, Would it be kind of like a lit, like a... A group home type of a situation where you're like you're caring a caregiver situation, kind of. Except it, it was more of an experiment, right? But he didn't tell people that. Like everyone else probably thought, oh, you're just taking care of him, right? Yeah. Or I I I assume so. I, I don't know for yeah. sure. Um, I have. Was he like <laughs> took this fucking patient hostage? <laughs> gotcha, bitch. <laughs> I mean, it kind of felt that way. <laughs> As you're reading about it, you're like. This is sketchy. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the thing about uh, William Beaumont is that he kept very thorough journals. Okay. Which I didn't actually read a good majority of them, like the actual journals, 
But the reason we know all this is because he was meticulous in his journaling. Okay. Like, he was very in-depth about, like, how he felt, what he was seeing, how the patient was doing. Like, very in-depth journals, which is kind of a refreshing in regards to this kind of thing. Because I feel like a lot of, like... Historical is, events, people have to make, like, their own in assumptions and connections. Like, they get to see the, the checkpoints, but not, like, the thought process between. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're like, oh, he discovered how gunpowder worked, but we have no idea how. You know, right. it's just <laughs> random stuff like that. So it was kind of cool that he kept his journals the way he did, so that you could kind of see the steps he took. Should we keep tally marks on, like, the good, the pros and cons of William Beaumont as we go through this? <laughs> like, I see mean, if he, of the two people, stacks up. Of the two people we're talking about, he was the better. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> like he, from what I found, like he wasn't necessarily like a bad guy. It was just a little unethical the way that he kind of went about his experiments. But it wasn't. Okay. He wasn't torturous in it. You know. Okay. So, Alexis. You know, he had a family. He had he had a bunch of stuff going on, and uh, Beaumont kind of took him in and kind of took care of him in his own home. Okay. So Beaumont. Beaumont. Boom. Beaumont, like, brought this guy into his house so that he could keep caring for him. Right. Uh, also, experimenting and seeing how stomachs worked. But so, uh, in May of 1825, he began a series of 238 different experiments to see how, like, the gastric juices work, how digestion works, how food is processed, how it moves into the intestines, all that fun stuff. And he kept, obviously, very detailed journals about it he also uh did some experiments into the fact of how food affects like mental health like nutrition wise like different foods did it affect how alexis was feeling and you know stuff like that kind of so how he kept like a journal on his psychology of his patient as well to a certain extent okay um it should be worth noting that these two did not like each other ah. um i <laughs> beaumont was not a huge fan of Alexis. He said that he was uh, inconvenient to work with. He's like, Alexis St. Martin is just kind of a dick, kind of a drunk, just rude all the time, which I don't blame the guy. Like, I would be rude and a dick if somebody was putting pieces of chicken in my stomach and pulling Did I tell it out. you you could put that in there? <laughs> but so As one, for consent. <laughs> yeah, one of the experiments that he did, he would take, took like a piece of chicken, like cooked chicken, Okay. And he put it in the guy's stomach for, like, two hours. And then he pulled it out. Like, tied it to a string, put it in the guy's stomach hole, and then pulled it out. And because the scientific method at this point was a little loose when it came to <laughs> how you test things, he tasted it. Because he thought, yeah, it's a good way to know. And he described it as tasteless, but kind of sweet. So apparently after two hours in stomach acid, your piece of chicken is going to be sweet. So just so you know, if you're ever wondering what food in your stomach is like. Well, before it goes to shit, it just gets sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh, it's a real bummer. But uh, kind of like an important little side note is that uh, Beaumont started paying St. Martin. Because, okay. I mean, the guy kind of wanted to leave, but he's also like... this. I'm not going to get another chance to look at how stomachs work right. in this kind of detail. So he kind of paid uh, St. Martin as uh, basically a hired worker. So, like he kept him in his employ so that he could afford to like take care of his family and all that stuff. 
while just having this guy lay there and let him put wooden blocks and shit into his stomach. Wooden blocks. Yeah, so it was not great experiments, but he wasn't, like... He wasn't doing anything to affect his health negatively that he knew of. Yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't, he wasn't like, cutting into the guy and, like, ripping his intestines out. He was doing everything. available. The yeah. hole in his stomach. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, as far as unethical experiments go, it's not the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> but... Definitely not great. Right. But, uh, you know, St. Martin ended up living a pretty long and healthy life. Uh, at a certain point, they kind of eventually separated after uh, Beaumont had done the majority of his experiments and kind of found what he was looking for. Uh-huh. They kind of went their separate ways. And when Beaumont released all his findings he kind of became the father of the field like he proved a lot about how the stomach works how digestion affects you know different body processes and all this stuff and it was a a really in-depth look into something that people really had no idea about at the time right so and he advanced that field of medicine by years just changed the game a lot and so it was all in all it was a very fortunate thing that happened he introduced a new field of medicine and so we understood how you know nutrients are absorbed through the stomach and all that fun stuff so it was definitely a necessary step towards modern medicine wow yeah because i imagine like how long it would take him to have the technology to actually access that without you know, without some terrific, terrible event that pulls your stomach open, it's taken us, a, like, biopsies. You think of them taking samples of body parts and organs and stuff like that. That's a an intrusive process, but it's as minimally intrusive as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, I imagine that experiment wouldn't have happened until way, 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 way later, once the technology caught up, to be able to, like, take a sample of, like, the the gastric fluids in your stomach and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And so he just saw an opportunity and was like, hey, like, what kind of visionary is that to be like, I want to understand this more. Who else would have just been like, no, let's get him sewed up. Let's make sure he's, you know, back to his family. Like, Hold on a minute. I have access to, who else cared enough to, like, deep dive it? Like, that's pretty, uh, the fascinating part about anyone in history who decided to, like, fully understand something that was just taken for granted mm-hmm. is amazing to me. Well, yeah, and, like, what a perfect storm. Like, he was the only physician at that fort. Right. Had someone else gotten him, they'd have fixed him up in such a way that this opportunity would have no longer existed. Mm-hmm. Probably and, better for Alexis, but not better for <laughs> the society as a whole. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, like, Alexis, he still lived a fairly healthy life. Right. I mean, there's a chance, you know, kind of spitballing here, but had a different physician been there... Maybe he might not have survived at all. That's yeah, you know, fair. like there's, you, you can never anticipate what would have happened. But I mean, if things didn't go the way they would have, we would have been in a very different world. Interesting, yeah. So I mean, all things considered, best case scenario may have been this one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we have to imagine that. Uh, I like to think of different timelines. I wonder what other other timelines look like right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the whole split, like. Alright, here's the situation where we had the one doctor. Here's the situation where we had two doctors. Yeah, and two guys bickering about who gets to put their hand in the dude's stomach first. <laughs> Who's tasting the chicken this time? I had to eat it last time, alright? 
It's your turn. I just, I wonder, I really wonder about that scenario, because, I mean, he was a scientist, right? So, did he go into that when he put the piece of meat in the guy's stomach? Was his initial plan, I'm going to pull this out and taste it, or is that something that just kind of came along after he pulled it out? He was like, well, it looks different. There's only one way to know. <laughs> it, like, what was his thought process behind that? Did he say, God, I can't wait to eat that chicken? Well, it was simmering. <laughs> Stewing. I, uh, I can't imagine that was pleasant. Marinating. Mm. <laughs> Gastric juice. I bet it was tender. Uh, maybe. I've heard, like, so have you ever, I've, I've heard that, like, cooking shish kebabs and putting, like, pineapple on it, um... The guy at work was talking, don't put your meats right next to your pineapple because it's going to almost overcook it because you have the acid cooking it and then you're cooking it on the grill. He goes, it makes it really like hard to eat. So he always puts an onion between his pineapple and his meats on his shish kebab. And I'm like, so maybe in that case where it's just being cooked by, or like recooked by acid, it would be tender, but I'm not sure. I've never cooked anything in acid, me, so me I, I don't know for sure. Me neither. I'm not sure how that works at all. But, so I guess uh, we'll jump into our next person here. So, uh, we're looking at J. Marion Sims, born in 1813. Uh, basically, the father of gynecology, mm -hmm. which is in and of itself is a very fun topic. And you said that the gastrology guy is a shining star compared to this dude from an ethical standpoint. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, uh, uh, all right. Okay, so J. Marion Sims. Sims. So Mr. Sims. So uh, another one of those uh, not a lot of medical study mm -hmm. before becoming a doctor. And when was he born again? Uh, 1813. 1813. So I'm just trying to so make he, sure like my mind's in the setting of... Yeah, so I'm, they're kind of the same period. He was born maybe like, what, what 30 years? No, 40 years after... Uh, Beaumont. So Beaumont happened like late 1700s, or yeah, late 1700s, early 1800s. Early 1800s. So early 1800s is when he was like doing his doctor stuff mm -hmm. and science experiments on this guy. Yeah. And this guy was born around the time frame that he was doctoring. Yes. Okay. So, uh, Marion Sims. This guy didn't have to create the open holes. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he got lucky. They were already there. <laughs> So he, uh, That's a terrible comment. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's what I'm here for. So basically, he spent three months interning with a doctor okay. and was like, oh, I feel like I know enough. And then he spent another year studying at uh, Jefferson Medical. So he actually kind of went to school for a year. Which, I guess, compared to today's standards, it's a pretty short time frame. Yeah, but I mean, I guess back then, compared to some of the doctors that they had in small towns, he was probably a a very well-respected PhD candidate, you know? Makes sense. You know, like... He went to school. You've got Gus down here in South Carolina who basically is 20 years old and has seen a broken arm, and he's the town doctor. <laughs> he fixed it decently, and so now he, he's got the top of the food chain. Everyone else really screwed up some arms. <laughs> yeah, so at least this guy knew how to read. Gotcha. So, Dr. uh... Gus. <laughs> he began his practice, right, after his three months and one year. He ended up moving because he killed his first three patients. 
Yeah, that wouldn't bode yeah. well for, the your, first three, for your popularity. first three people he treated all died. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to move somewhere else where they don't know that I killed people. I need a different... And that's when you could move and you know there was no Yelp to be like following you around. Like, no, this guy kills people. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really keep medical records, so we didn't need to worry about it. But, so Mike, did it have any details as to like what these guys were fighting? Or did he like... Was it like something they could have come out of and didn't because of him, or I don't know for sure. I didn't. Okay. I didn't see anything. All I know is that he killed a couple people and, and then <laughs> and then relocated. Okay, gotcha. So a majority of his practice, he focused on uh, keeping slaves healthy enough to work and breed. Like that was his area of expertise. Like slave owners would be like, you know, my. My slave is sick. She's not going to be able to produce children for me. And Marion Sims would roll up and be like, I can fix that. Uh. And not a great thing, but, you know, we're looking at the time period. This was, this was how the economy worked. You know, like you had to keep your slaves healthy enough to perform. Right. Regardless of what that task ended up being. So he was filling a, a hole in the market there. <laughs> but uh, his... It's important to note that during this time period, gynecology wasn't a thing. Like it okay. was considered almost uncouth to be a female doctor, right? Or for yeah, to to observe females. Yeah, like and and it was in a time frame where males dominated every professional field, right? And so to like look at another man's wife, yeah, under her dress that was had to be down below her ankles, right? In this time frame, yeah. was well, just unheard of. And it just wasn't a respected profession. Like, if you focused on female genitalia, you just, you weren't respected as a physician. Like, you just, you weren't the guy. You were a creep. Yeah. I gotcha. I, I, don't, e I don't even know if it was a creep as so much, uh, you just weren't respected. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> look at this sap over here. He just, he wants to play pussy all day. Right. You know, like, it just wasn't a respected field. Okay. So, basically, he did, you know, pretty standard physician tasks. You know, like, mending broken bones, you know, stuff like that. And he kind of got started because uh, a young woman had fallen off a horse and broken her pelvis. Ooh. And so, in his medical examination, he realized that he needed to get up in there to look and see you know what, what was, was wrong damaged. and what had happened okay and this kind of led to his creation of the first speculum which not great he used a pewter spoon he had a spoon that he kind of stuck in there and then spread so he could look and the visual that i get from that doesn't make me feel good no but he did kind of develop that further at a certain point to kind of what we use today. Right. Put a hinge in it at least. Yeah. So <laughs> <didn't> use two. <laughs> yeah. So he did make some progress there. He, I, as far as I, uh, found out, he kind of learned a little bit about, it's called a vesicovagular fistula, which from what I know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about medical terms. But I think that it's a tear in, like, the uterine wall. Okay. And so, um, it's just kind of, like, it's fairly common in the, like, birthing process. And so, it was kind of a, something that had happened quite a bit that nobody really knew how to fix. Okay. So, so is this one of those things where it was, like, we had a lot of, so I know that 
before gynecology became very pro- like prominent, probably, we lost a lot of women to child rearing, mm-hmm. right? And so that was one of the reasons is probably what you're describing now, I would presume, because infection and everything else inside yeah. of the body after that. Yeah, so okay. he, he kind of, he found that was something that was going on, and there was no cure for that. You know, it was basically like, you got the tear, shit's bad, you're going to get sick, you might die. Right. Okay. And so he started doing, like, some experiments, and basically he took ownership of that slave, the the woman who had broken her pelvis. Okay. And he took ownership of her from the slave owner, and he began doing his experiments, which not a great position to be in you know you've just got this crazy physician who's like i'm gonna look in you and i'm gonna figure shit out right and so not a great position but even with the unethic the unethical experiments he did it did in the long run save a lot of lives right so he began digging around in there no anesthetic he just started started going in there trying to sew things up tearing things apart just learning how everything worked and one of the misguided parts of his thing was that he didn't i don't know if it was a product of the time which i imagine it probably was but because they didn't view these people as humans yeah he right they were they were more viewed like cattle yeah and he didn't think that um black people felt pain the same way right which I have a hard time wrapping my head around that because obviously she was in pain during this. You know, like they're screaming, they're crying. People are not... They're feeling this stuff, obviously. Right. And so the way that his mind works that he's like, oh, they just feel it differently doesn't compute for me. Right. I mean, like... She's making all the same sounds I would if I stubbed my toe or worse, but she's not feeling this this pain. (laughs) Yeah. it, It is worth noting that anesthesia wasn't super common at this point right so it wasn't something that they did regularly or had readily on hand probably yeah a lot of physicians were skeptical of it at this point in time because it was it was kind of a newer technology and they didn't know a lot about how it worked so a lot of physicians wouldn't do um, any kind of anesthesia at this point so that is one point in his defense for not doing it because it was probably cost prohibitive and stuff like that but right Okay. It's still worth noting that there was no anesthesia during a lot of his experiments. So he just kind of doing that, and he spent four years doing this, where, you know, anytime there was any kind of gynecological issue in any kind of slaves or anything, he would agree to take ownership of the slave from the master until he did all his experiments, and then he would turn, return the girl to whoever. Uh, it just, terrible thought. Like considering that that was part of the economy that was a fundamental aspect of the economy for farming ranching and stuff like that steep slaves were an asset right mm-hmm. and so it's <laughs> it's like flipping cars <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> like that's that sounds like how he was continuing to make money in order to afford to continue doing business because i mean it didn't sound like he was being paid to come in as often and fix slaves as he was like helping slaves helping the the slave who had become injured get well and then reselling yeah basically i mean the he always resold back to the person that he got them from okay so i mean it it's it's a disgusting practice in and of itself yeah just slavery in general is terrible yeah and a, a 
obviously a blotch on our history. But the same, so when we're evaluating this situation, did it give any details as to like, I don't know what the, because obviously he's buying a slave who's of no use to that owner mm-hmm. anymore, right? So I, think I guess that, it'd be. I think that he was, so. Or was in, he more curious about the scientific side of it than he was the, I guess, what was his motivation? I, it, I feel like it was a little bit of both. Like he was scientifically curious. He wanted to know how, how he could fix these things, how it worked. And monetary, obviously, because so he would get like stipends from the person that he got the slave from. Okay. So he would be like, you know, I'm going to take this woman in. I'm going to do my thing, do some research, find out how I can fix whatever is going on. And then while I'm doing this, you'll pay me a little bit and then I'll return it, return her. And it was, I think it was a combination of the two where he would... He would do these experiments because he wanted to know how it worked, but also for the monetary aspect of it. It's kind of how he was making his living. And so eventually after about four years of this, he finally kind of got the procedure down where he found out how he could fix the, the tears without, you know, really harming the woman. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he decided he was going to move on to uh, helping the white people. Okay. And so he moved his practice towards more of a, he started doing anesthesia, started doing all this stuff. After doing all these horrible experiments on all these black women, he took what he learned and then he marketed it towards the rich culture. Wow. Okay. And so through and through, not a good person. Right. I give credence to the fact that he was a product of his time. You know, this wasn't uncommon at the time, but through today's lens, definitely not great. Oh yeah, it's hard to talk about right now. And like, yeah, with everything you're just trying not on. to picture anything because, like, the whole just the the thought of handing a person over as an item instead of as a person, you're like, hey, fix this person. I really care about this person. It's not how the mindset was, and for us to even imagine that is nearly impossible. Yeah, it just makes me cringe. The whole, the whole oh yeah, thing it, about it's it. definitely sickening to learn about this stuff, which is definitely why I said that Marion Sims was <laughs> the worst of the two. You right, know, at, least, <laughs> at least Beaumont, like. <sighs> At least he wasn't just torturing people for no reason, you know? Right. And he had, it sounds like, mostly consent and, like, paid the guy himself to remain Yeah, in Alexis his St. Martin could have <laughs> left at numerous points. Right. <laughs> like, he wasn't trapped in his scenario, necessarily. Like, these women had no choice. They were... Right. I mean, and that's from both sides. Whether they were just trying to live their lives or whether they had a health issue that needed to be fixed and they were in Dr. Sims' care, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were stuck and trapped on all fronts, right? Yep. It uh, was it was a bad situation through and through. But... I mean, they survived probably because of it. Whatever life they had, that's all they knew. And at least they survived. Yeah. Right? I, I, I would say a good majority so I guess, of them did. I guess that's the one positive of this One bright <laughs> spot in <laughs> a very dark storm. <laughs> in a very dark storm. Oh, gosh. But he... After, you know, everything he learned, after everything he did, he found out, you know, a lot about how the female reproductive system works and uh, definitely saved a lot of lives through the process. Right. Uh, childbirth became less of a unknown mm-hmm. and a lot of the issues that arose he knew how to fix and 
he shared that information and doctors today benefited from it. Right. Um, up to the point where I think there was a statue of him somewhere on the East Coast. I, I don't remember where. I mean, due to today's recent climate, you know, a lot of a lot of things have changed about the way we view historical figures like that. And he's no longer in the good graces. Uh, he had, right. I think he even had a hospital dedicated to him that has been renamed hmm. and stuff like that because I wasn't a good dude. Right. And a lot of, it's kind of sad to think about how many medical advancements were made at the expense of African Americans. Yeah. And it's definitely not a, it's not a bright part of our history, but it's, it is a part of our history that I think really needs to be acknowledged. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of the story from what research I did about Marion Sims. He father by father of gynecology. He's one one of those bad fathers. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the he dead, he's the deadbeat dad. You know, like you, you know who he is, but you're kind of like God, not a great guy. You don't want to invite him over for Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Uh, so, and I have such mixed feelings about it because had he not been who he was at the time he was, how long would it have taken? How much? Who else? And how else would they have made these advancements? Yeah, I mean, gynecology might... It might have taken another hundred years, for all we know. I mean... And, and you can't even imagine, like, you know, what other... I don't know. I have such mixed emotions. It's like, do you really try to forget and erase that part of history? And, like, any any monument to him, I guess... I mean, can't you just put an addendum on it and be like, hey, here's all the positives he did. Keep in mind, he was a terrible dude. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. And I, I guess that's fair to, like, remove his legacy to an extent, but how do you keep him at the forefront of uh, at least historical learning, right? I, I feel like that's a very... Uh, it's a difficult topic to broach for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Because historical figures, I mean... I try not to get too political about a lot of things, but they... Nobody was a good person, you know, like... By today's ethical standards, you're yeah, right. Yeah, today's ethical standards, nobody was a good person. Absolutely. I mean, but you can't erase the good things that someone did just because they did shitty things as well. Acknowledge them. You need to acknowledge both, you know? Yeah. If, if somebody did something good, acknowledge that, but at the, if they used unethical practices to do it, that also needs to be noted. I don't think they should be celebrated, but don't don't erase the fact that they did that they made advancements. Right. You know, I it, it's it's a slippery slope there though, cuz you know, you start erasing the the history, you know, you tear down the statues, you erase all the monuments, and eventually it, it erases the legacy of the people that were affected by it as well. Right. You know, uh, the all of the African Americans who were hurt in his scientific endeavors, they're a part of that history too. Right. And I think they should they should definitely be acknowledged for, you know, everything that they went through. And it's kinda you have to do both. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think Marion Sim should be praised for what he did. Right. But the fact that it saved lives should be definitely at least acknowledged. Right. Yeah, and it's hard to know someone's motive. Everyone asks about motive. When there's a, a murder or something like that that happens that's surprising or 
you know, especially a, an emotionally motivated murder. It's like, what, what happened? What, what made you do this? And sometimes it's the other person that was killed was a terrible human being, right? And yeah. so everyone wants to understand that, whether it's one way or the other, whether the person who was the murderer is a terrible human being or the person that got killed was a terrible human being. People are curious about that story. Yeah. And I think that, you know, maybe history should be viewed in the same light. Uh, search for understanding, not contempt. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Because you, you want to understand and don't condemn everything or ignore everything, I guess. You can condemn the bad things they do, I guess. But, yeah, it's an, an interesting... And motive's very hard to determine. Oh, yeah. Especially with history. You yeah. know, like, motive in a recent event. You can kind of, you know, you can ask questions, you can figure it out. But, you know, this was 200 years ago. Right. N nobody has any idea what his motive was. Not you know, everyone like, keeps as good a journal as uh, Bill. Beaumont. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not everybody's like, I'm doing this for this exact reason, all right? Oh. Uh. But yeah, that's kind of, that's what I had for today. It, again, quick research, maximum effort, but uh, here we are. I hope we all learned a little bit of something. That's uh, things we don't know. Um, yeah. I can't read. None of us can read. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks for listening. These are the things I don't know, and now we don't know. I can't read. None of us can read. <laughs>